This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. I have here an email, the origins of which I suspect are from the Clinton campaign. Seriously, because it's signed Hugh Jass in uh, Chappaqua, New York. Hugh Jass. I think I've heard that somewhere before. Anyway, it says, Guru Jay, I challenge you to sum up the quintessence of your criticism of Obama and his beliefs and policies, and thus Hillary's. Hugh, Jas, I accept the challenge, and I'll do it in just 27 words. This is all true. Well, no, none of that's true up until this point. This is true. <laughs> Quote, the TSA invites Muslim leaders to review our top secret airport screening and profiling procedures so they can offer suggestions on how to make it more culturally sensitive to Muslims, end quote. Okay, 28 words. Veritas. are the best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. We are together the Blaze Radio Network, and if ever you were gone, how I would miss you. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm fishing for a compliment here. I, I want you to say the same thing. Kurt Vonnegut wrote, and I'm on, not only am I unashamed to quote Kurt Vonnegut, I am unashamed to admit that I think like any fairly promising Uh, high school junior or senior, his early books uh, provided the fundamental foundation of a lot of my thinking. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, 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 and I'm very proud to say, and and this happened a few times in my life, I uh, actually later in life became personal friends with him. I mean, you know, if if dining at his home on a Saturday afternoon in the summertime and his doing a sketch of his of himself with a with a felt tip pen and sending me on a on a irregularly all slanty wise personal letter on an old uh, Smith and Corona typewriter. We were neighbors. I got to know him pretty well. 
I first met him in Brooks Brothers in New York, the flagship store on Madison Avenue. I was down from school for the day uh, to buy some shirts, as I recall, and maybe some u trow. Anyway, some basic stuff. I was, I was still on my, you know, my parents' bill, my parents' tabs. Why not? Uh, and he was ahead of me, first floor, if you know the store, uh, and it's a miracle. You leave the cacophony of Madison Avenue, and the minute you walk through the door, there's like a and you enter a time and space continuum, which has nothing to do with Midtown Manhattan. All of a sudden, it becomes quiet and civilized. And about 100 meters from the front door, not that far, 50 meters from the front door, left-hand side, last display cabinet before the shirts on the first floor. Now, we're going back some years here, so this could all have changed. Uh, was socks and U-Trow. Ah, so I remember now. I was I was buying U-Trow. One, the person in head of, ahead of me, in line. There were two people in line. Me, fellow ahead of me. Fellow ahead of me was Kurt Vonnegut. He smelled of tobacco. Uh, from the back, I knew who he was. An absolute hero of mine. Absolute hero to this day. Uh, a total Kwame, a wicked Kwame in spirit, in belief, and the dearest man I've ever known. Uh, I knew him from behind, which I know a lot of Democrat men say about other Democrat men, but I mean it in a different way. I thought I recognized him, and I just sort of cheated a little and you know, kind of leaned around in a tiny way, an inoffensive way, and heard him exchange a few grumbled words with the the clerk and just got a quick look at him and I realized it was it was him and I Yeah, I was eighteen, I don't know, nineteen, and I was just I was thrilled. And when he conducted his business, which only took a second, I guess he just had a question or something, or he was waiting to pick up something. He was just there like 40 seconds. And he turned around, and, uh, and I, 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 I looked at him and extended my hand in, in a handshake mode and said, Mr. Trout. And he was quasi, for him, quasi startled. He, he, my experience later in life was that he rarely showed much emotion other than a wry smile. But he he just was, I think, slightly, possibly quasi surprised for a moment. But he didn't betray it by anything more than a little tiny upturn of one side of his lip and mustache. And he extended his hand, and he sh shook my hand. And, of course, Mr. Trout is a reference to Kilgore Trout, which is uh, his character in Breakfast of Champions. Uh, Breakfast of Champions, along with player piano, 
Sirens of Titan, and God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, and I'm missing the one with the red cover. Uh, Cat's Cradle are among the greatest works of American fiction ever written, and certainly the most influential on me. Do you know that I had no... When I tell you I had no bloody idea 11 minutes ago that I was ever going to mention Kurt Vonnegut, uh, that's what makes me uh, either a has-been or a great radio talk show host because I'm a conversationalist. Or as my grandmother said, and you need to be old to know the meaning of this, she said, James... You were vaccinated with a phonograph needle. Anyway, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. The following was an absolutely true story. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. That's where you could call and ask more details about accomplished people. I was lucky enough to mistakenly have met and become acquainted with, uh, but it's useful for other purposes too. Like, shut up and talk about something I care about. Okay, updates on everything you ever cared about or wanted to know about American politics and the Olympics. Next. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This could not, would not, and someday will not be the Jay Severin Show uh, without you. You are the best and brightest. one 3393 Now, I may have a bunch of disgruntled best and brightest on my hands whenever I talk about, uh, I don't know, you know, anything. Because everybody wants something. And as Myron Cohen says, everybody got to be someplace. And I'm in different places, and I'm principally in the civic circus maximus, but uh, I do stray, as you know. And I'm straying again today to open with my Olympic update. Why? Oh, why do you do this? I do it because it's August. I do it because I like the spectacle of the Olympics. I like turning on the television, although it's a luxury, as I'm about to address, that the experts are telling me soon we will not be able to afford. And that is to say, what can we not afford? We cannot afford turning on, like when I turn on my television system, I've got at any given moment 
five to eight channels that are covering an Olympic event. And I check them all, my attention span being, as you know, the same as a gnat on crack. And so I'm, 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 I, I'm flirting around with these stations, and I've got Slovenia playing Fiji in table hockey. And then I go to the next channel, and I've got Austria v. Argentina in team water dancing. And I go to the next channel, and I've got, you get my point, right? And I've got the, like, uh, midget toss. I'm told the Australians are particularly good at at, at the midget toss. Actually, that's a true story. Until it was banned, Uh, when I first started visiting Australia in the uh, mid-'80s, they they still had midget tosses at popular night spots. Those were the days! But alas, they were short. (laughs) See what I did there? Okay, uh, Olympic update, because it's August, because I, it's a spectacle, we like spectacles, and I actually think I may have something to uh, add to the discussion, I hope you do, one 3393 right, here's the Olympic update. As Guru Jay predicted more than a year ago, and uh, tediously on several occasions since, Rio is an effing disaster. And the reason it's a disaster, as originally declared, is because you cannot have a civilized event in an uncivilized place. You know who said that? Me! You cannot have a civilized event in an uncivilized place. I'm sure it's been put in other words by smart people. But that's, uh, that's my version. Rio is a disaster. One disaster is if you've seen these reports and they are scant because everyone apparently feels, evidently feels, it's their patriotic duty to minimize the bad news out of Rio. So I'll bet you haven't seen many shots of turds in the water during the, the, the uh, aquatic competitions that not in a pool. No, you haven't. But there are dead dogs, dead goats, dead cows, eyeballs, hands, fingers, hypodermic needles, skulls, and mostly complete human bodies, though in various forms of decomposition, uh, and turds, in the water, on which and under 1,400 lucky Olympians get to compete. But we don't hear much about that. I'll tell you what else you don't hear much about. But I, I had to find it, and I found it. It's the security camera system. There, there are cable channels who are playing cuts from the, what's it called, CCTV, SCTV, whatever the heck it is. But, you know, it's the most, most places now have some kind of security system. And they, as, as a condition, I learn, of getting the Olympics, Rio, which is the crime center of the world, had to install, had to spend, um, I'll give you, here's a fact. The 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, the entire bill 
everything, the entire expense for putting on the Olympics in Los Angeles was less than the security costs for Rio. Ponder that one. Okay, so they had to install cameras and upgrade their security. <laughs> upgrade. They had to. They had to consider. They had to have someone tell them what security means, and and then try to do something about it. Cuts from these cameras show a series of. They're not exceptions. They're appalling. Every day, fifty times a day. Video of a young Rio de Janeiro, uh, I'd say the average age of the assaultant is about 14, 14 to 16, maybe 14 to 18 years old. You see them stalking what look like my wife and daughter, tourists with shopping bags. One of them pulls out a cell phone and this, this, Piece, well, I, as aforementioned, this turd stalks them, and the minute they stop and someone you know, pulls out their cell phone and touches it, he hauls, it's always a he, he hauls off and slams the mother or the daughter. It's almost always a, two, two women or a, a woman and a young girl or two, and slams them in the side of the head. And as they're collapsing... He rips from their bodies the uh, their purses, shopping bags, and their cell phone and runs. And before, even if they remain conscious, which in many cases they do not, before they can scream help, he's gone. This is happening 50 times a day in Rio and virtually radio silence on the whole thing. It's impossible to police. Speaking of police, on, what's today, Tuesday? Last Thursday or Friday, a, and I, I reported this to you at the time, a truckload, so think of an open, a great big open military truck. It's like a flatbed truck, right? It was packed with what they call uh, national special forces. <laughs> And the special forces were in the truck. The truck made a wrong turn, got lost in their own city. They got lost. They took a wrong turn. Within a minute, they were into, I think it's called the favela, the ghetto. And they were under uh, small arms fire, but not too small. AK-47s, Kalashnikovs. And they shot up the soldiers, killed a couple of them. This is like three or four blocks from the main shopping area. The, the, the national police were ambushed as a mistake. This was not, this was not planned. They, they, they got lost. And within a minute, the gangs came out with AK-47s and were slaughtering soldiers. This is, this is Rio. Blame it on Rio. What a wild, carefree time. Bang, bang, bang. Okay, that's one way in which Rio is a disaster. Another way, have you watched anything on television? Have you noticed, and only, you know, freaks notice this stuff, which is why I did. Did you notice, next time you look at any Olympic, virtually any Olympic event, 
if you get a, a rare wide shot, because NBC especially, and I'm not kidding here, I mean, I know this stuff, NBC directors are being very careful to give you almost exclusively tight shots of the action. And they do, because you want to focus on the athletes. But you rarely see the rare but but standard wide shot. They show the stadium, right? They don't hear. You know why? Because what you see is that routinely two-thirds of the seats are empty. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, welcome back. one 888 My hour Olympic update continues because we can. And because it's August. And because the Olympics occur quadrennially. And it does raise issues that I think are interesting that have nothing to do with sport. I mean, what did we just discuss? Did we discuss sports? No. We discussed a sociological, uh, various sociological phenomena deriving from a sporting event. So uh, that's not an alibi. I mean, it's just, and, and, it, and, and here's more. The, they finally admitted to the empty seats, officially. Now, imagine what that takes. Imagine how obvious it must be that an average of, the average crowds at the Olympic events is one-third or less. In fact, BBC says the average crowd uh, spread across events, the average crowd, I mean, there are limited events that do well, like Brazil against somebody in, uh, you know, I'm in soccer. You know, I'm sure they'll, they'll probably come close to filling the stadium. Or there are other venues that when Brazil competes in a, sport that's popular among Brazilians that, that, you know, they put people in the seats. But BBC says the average crowd is 25%, 75% empty seats. And imagine what they had to go through before they were willing to admit this officially. Well, they did. And the BBC, starting last night, very early morning, our time, East Coast, USA, <clears throat> An official said, well, yes, the ticket sales, which we believe will pick up, have not exactly met our ideal expectations. No, rather not. Uh, But, see, there's a reason for this, says the Brazilian official. And here it is. Brazilians do not care to sit and observe for long periods of time. These Olympic events can be so tedious, and they they take time. And the Brazilians, I'm sorry, I should stop there. Brazilians do not care to sit and observe for long periods of time, which the Olympic events require. 
end quote. The word tedious is mine. So, so evidently, the Brazilians find the Olympic events so tedious that they won't go. Well, the other reason they won't go is no dough. They have no money. If you look at the key demo as to who buys tickets, it's wealthy Americans, wealthy Europeans, wealthy Chinese. That's that that's great. But you see, you can't rely on that. You must rely on the vast majority of your ticket sales, which is a surprising part of the, you know, profit and loss. You must rely on a massive percentage of your ticket sales being regional and local. And so that Brazilians won't sit still for all the time these tedious Olympic events take and that they have no money in any case to buy tickets because their economy is in collapse. Was, was, was this fact in their competitive application when they bid for the games, you know, as in, okay, it's Brazil's turn. All right, uh, sirs and madams, we truly greatly want you and the games in Rio. But don't expect our citizens to actually buy tickets or attend the events. What are you, stupid? So that's where we are with Rio. Now, the larger and I hope, and you, you, you know, someone just needs to call me, and tell me no, and you'll you'll have a majority of one, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. But at my second and final, I can hear a collective sigh of relief. My my second and final Olympic update for the day is, you're seeing the last, I think, the last or the penultimate. Olympics in this form. NBC paid something like I don't I don't know six billion dollars. I you know I don't I, I really don't know the numbers, and I'm sure that's an exaggeration. But I believe it's like a billion. I mean, NBC paid for the broadcast rights to the Olympics. Why? Because they'll make money. Never, never. They buy it. A network buys the Olympics because. It's like associating with tennis. It's like Mercedes-Benz picking up the bill for uh, the professional tennis circuit. It's the branding. It's the association with the sport itself and the perceived lifestyle of the professionals and the amateurs who play. So that's why you see Mercedes-Benz every place you see tennis or golf. Because those are people with money to spend on cars. Expensive ones. You know, that's that's how babies are made, right? So, I think you are seeing the last Olympics, or again, the penultimate uh, event, whereby you could turn on the television any time during three weeks, 24 hours a day, <laughs> virtually, and see... Olympic events taking place. Czechoslovakia versus Estonia. Estonia when you're walking down the street. 
Estonia win. No, uh, Czechoslovakia v. Estonia in team handball. And by the way, man, I have found my reincarnation occupation. I want to be an Olympic handball player, a team team handball. What a great, I'm not kidding, what a great sport. That's the second most desirable thing for my reincarnation. The first at the moment is uh, most desirable is tied between locker room attendant for the female uh, handball team of Estonia, Estonia went, uh, and Norway. I'm still deciding. But the second greatest thing would be to come back as a team handball player. What a great sport. I love that. I didn't even know that existed until I was too late, until I was 30. That's five long years. Anyway, why are we not going to see uh, again, or not twice again, why are we not going to see again the Olympics in this form? Because cities no longer want it. As recently as two Olympics ago, the number of cities bidding competitively asked to risk, meaning promising the most outrageously lavish payoffs and budgets in the billions of dollars. This time I am sure about the figures. In the billions of dollars to put on the Olympics. It had 12 cities cutting each other's throats to get that privilege. Do you know the, the bidding for the next Summer Olympics is down to two cities, as I understand it? If I understood the report I heard in the middle of the night. In any case, the drop-off in bidding, or maybe that's the Winter Olympics. Um, it is. It is. The, 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 either the next or the next after, Winter Olympics, uh, there are only two, two regions bidding, two cities, Beijing and somewhere in the former Soviet Union, and uh, Beijing, I believe, has won. So it's getting down to like two cities. The key to that is the International Olympic Committee lives at the teat of us, of taxpayers, footing the outrageous bills for the Olympics. The Montreal Olympics of 1976 lost at least hundreds of millions of dollars. What I know is the 1976 Montreal Games were at least 10 to 20 times under-budgeted. And the taxpayers of Canada finished paying in 2006 or 8. It's either 2006 or 2008. They finished paying for the 1976 Olympics. That's how much money they lost. That's how much money Olympics are losing. So the question is, what do you do about it? Because you're no longer going to have cities competing against each other. The next Summer Olympics, or again, one, save one, is Los Angeles again. But they've submitted a budget, uh, a budget, uh, I'm sorry, uh, they've submitted a very uh, modest budget because they realize they're not competing against anybody. No one wants it 
because they're, they're because they're losing money for like a thirty year debt. No one wants it. Plus, what it does to your city, what it does to your region. Uh, I talked about the crime. I neglected to mention that the second most famous American swimmer. Try naming him. But the second most, because right after number one, it falls off, doesn't it? The second most famous American swimmer was held up with a gun pointed at his head, finger on the trigger, in the Olympic Village two nights ago. Okay? Nobody wants it. So what do you do about it? Well, the only thing you can do about it is next. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. That's for sure. All right, partners, unless you say otherwise, uh, we're about to complete the most cogent, brilliant, illustrative, insightful, entertaining hour on the Olympics anywhere in broadcast. Oh, did did I leave out modest or humble? But I believe that. We just did an hour about the Olympics. No one else does. And there's still a point to make. What do you do when the teat of intercity competition is gone? What do you do if you're the International Olympic Committee and you know it's going to cost, in current form, $5 billion to put on the Olympics and nobody's lining up anymore? Nobody. You open the door. All right, get ready, guys. Here they come. You open the door and nobody's there. You wait. It's an hour. You've eaten all the bagels. You call downstairs and say, are you sure they know what suite we're in? Has this been paid for? Whose room is this on? You know, when, when, when cities stop competing, what do you do? Well, you and I can answer this, and we're about to in the next two to three minutes. You reduce the Olympics by reducing the events, and thus the time span, and thus all the expenses. And you reduce physical costs. L.A. has all the athletes, the media, everybody, staying in existing college dormitories within 10 miles, 5 miles, of the main venues. They also have all the main venues already built, because they hosted the 19... 30, 36, I don't know, whatever. Not 36, I think that was Germany. But, you know, L.A. has all this stuff. And they don't have to build it. We had this obsession for 40 years that every Olympic venue had to be built from scratch every four years at the cost of, again, now billions of dollars. So there's only two ways to cut this. One is... You cut the events. Right now we have, David has just observed, cricket, the world's second most popular sport, by far, is not in the Olympics. You know what it is? Race walking. Race walking. Steeplechase. Anyone care to tell me the 
name of the big uh, American star and the captain of our team in steeplechase? Then would the next person please tell me what the heck steeplechase is if it's humans? Okay, next Olympics, softball again. It already failed. We're bringing it back. This, yes, this could be pressure from the lesbian lobby. I don't say that in any disrespectful way, but I think they caught hell from uh, the try lie by GTV MTV uh, community when they took out softball. Softball, softball is back as an Olympic event in Japan next summer Olympics, and you know what else? Skateboarding. You think I'm kidding, don't you? Dave, did you know this? Skateboarding. Skateboarding is an Olympic sport. I'm sorry. If you use skateboarding as an example, I'm just saying. Skateboarding? And if you're a city and the IOC is sitting up there and they say, no, 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 no. I've looked at this list and we've got to have race walking and skateboarding. Really? Really? Okay, the only other thing you could do is give it a permanent home so you don't have to rebuild it every four years. How about Athens? Permanent home. Everyone kicks in. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Okay, you Olympic Update fans, you're too late. I I can hear the shedding of tears because we're on to the political campaign. Which one? I'd like to pick one where there's an actual contest. So that kind of leaves out the presidential campaign. Excelsior. Okay, uh, uncharacteristically sober, in in you know in the formal meaning, I I'm seeing something on the television monitor that makes me sick. It, Hillary Clinton. Well, I could stop right there, but Hillary Clinton saying the problem in Milwaukee and other cities is the lack of trust between the community. This is a quote. The community and the police department. Uh, Am I not the community? Are you not the community? See, the problem is you're the community, but you're not the community. See, that's, that's a dog whistle. See, community, the lack of trust between the community and the police department is a dog whistle for black folks. And I deeply, deeply resent the exploitation of of these circumstances by a cheap, fat, all right, all right, let me be fair. Let me withdraw and rephrase. 
I shouldn't have called her cheap. I, I, it's really, it really makes me sick. There is no trust. There is no trust. That's a baby word. That's a liberal word. Trust. You know what? Here's the trust. You obey the law or we take you into custody. You, you obey the law. The laws being the foundation of principle by which the law-abiding protect themselves against outlaws. You do what the law says. If you don't do what the law says, we deprive you of your most fundamental liberties, starting with we take you into custody. We deprive you of all liberty. We take you and put you in a cell. And that's right, just, and proper. And if you resist too much our enforcement of the law, we shoot you, which is right, just, and proper. Because the police are there to protect us. They are heroes. They are our special forces domestically. They are our soldiers. That fat, cheap, sorry, force of habit. I shouldn't have called Hillary cheap. Uh, it really it is sickening. Trust between the community. You know, trust this. Obey the law or get shot. Obey the law or get arrested. Shoot at police and with the grace of the gods, the police will shoot first and more accurately. Trust. Trust this. Oh, by the way, I think this probably triggered me. I have no Twitter again. Those of you who received from me a Twitter message last evening in the... I was on the phone for whatever my first tweet was last night. I was on the phone with... Who would I be have been on the phone with? Oh, I know, Apple. I was on the phone with Apple for, it seemed, an eternity. I mean, I now, I believe the line, uh, I swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. Well, I now believe in hell because I experienced it last night. And I had a wonderful, I had the most wonderful, cooperative, English-speaking person with me on the phone last night who was really helpful and I'm I'm not kidding and whatever the date is of my first tweet last night I spent between 501 Eastern and that time on the phone I think it was an hour and a half it may have been longer it seemed as I say hell not because of the person I spoke to but just because you know what it's like, you know, I hate talking on the phone to people I like. And I, I, and I, and I, I had to talk to a stranger again. She was delightful and helpful and smart and English speaking. May I emphasize English speaking? She spoke American and, and knowledgeable and cooperative and nice. But I can't do that. I can't be honest. I can't hold a cell phone to my head for an hour and a half and be typing 
backslash pooty pooty backslash smile x v dollar sign ampersand for an hour and a half I, I it's the best argument for gun control there is if i had been near my gun i would have used it on me okay we reset my password and we actually did because i got back into my system and i tweeted Last night, I tweeted for a full, must have been off to one day, if ever I get back on Twitter, I'll have to look at the recorded times and see how long between when and when I was on Twitter. You can look. I can't because I don't have Twitter because I spent two hours on the bloody phone typing, typing backspace star forward backslash ampersand smile x v happy command r option v and we changed the the password because it worked for like half an hour I, i put the laptop aside having missed because i missed brett bear i missed george will i missed the panel I'm, I do homework. I do. It starts my homework. Well, my homework starts at five, but it's certainly more importantly because the five is useless. So that's on as candy. So the five goes on while I feed the doggies and make a martini and reacquaint myself with my family uh, for the first time in 24 hours. And then because the five is useless. Uh, but the six on Fox is the. Only the best and the only news, national news program on the air, on TV. Brett Baer, special report, 6 o'clock Eastern. I missed it because I was on with Apple typing ampersand. You get it, right? So for half an hour, Twitter worked. Put the laptop aside, picked it back up. I mean, I, I sent a few tweets, put it down, picked it back up typed in my new password, wouldn't take it. You tell me how that happens in half an hour. You spend two hours resetting it because apparently I have the oldest system. They, they want to put my laptop and its operating system in the Smithsonian. And it took them two hours to figure out how to change my password. I'm not kidding. And... At the end of it, we changed the password because it did work. It did work. I did get in. And then I said, wait, you have to hold on. I have to do this while you're still on the phone because I'll just I'll kill myself. I, I have to I have to test this. I tested it. It worked. Then I, I got on and and posted tweets and received them. It worked. Half an hour later, the thing crashed. Wouldn't recognize the new password. Will not turn on. No va, doesn't go, doesn't work, off Twitter, just wanted you to know. Not like I'm frustrated about it or anything. I'll be right back with the 1% chance that we can stop Hillary. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. I'll bet you thought you wouldn't have to wait an hour, 21 minutes before I mentioned politics. Well, you didn't because everything we've discussed so far is at least small p politics. Is it not? If not, then I'm, I'm unhappy to learn you feel that way. one 888 I just wish you had said something earlier. one 888 Yesterday, Donald Trump billed himself as delivering a, quote, major foreign policy speech laying out my plan, end quote. And it was uh, foreign policy, meaning mostly terrorism, anti-terrorism. Now, I'm not, I don't believe I've ever been, and I don't intend to ever be, wantonly, gratuitously critical of, well, you know, of of people on my side. (laughs) I, I I hope I can always conjure gratuitous uh, commentary uh, for the people with whom I disagree. Not you, but I mean, you know, politicians. But Donald Trump yesterday, if that was a major foreign policy speech, you or I could have, and I think I did, I think I did, conjure and deliver that sophomoric drivel when we were... Uh, sophomores, uh, well, sophomores, and not particularly bright ones. I, 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 I guess Trump's remarks are were intended at any given moment to intended to match the standard IQ of Americans, and I fear to say. I fear to suspect that he succeeded. <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, these people, I don't agree with them. They are smarter than I am. They, I don't know, do I really mean that? I'm not sure. But these 75 Republicans, former office holders, staffers, RNC people, that signed a letter and released it last week saying we're not going to vote for Trump. He's a moron and we're not casting our lot with him. Whatever we have to bear until we are again viable, we're not going down in history as, as having associated with an imbecile. They said it characteristically in finer terms than that. But that's what they were saying. And it hurt me to read it because I I know, and certainly know of, but, but, but know most of the people on that list, especially the ones, you know, under 70 years of age that have served in government as Republicans. And... It hurt to read it because under other circumstances, I can imagine reading that letter and signing it 
I, I, it just, I, look at what I do. I guess you can't. You used to be able to look at, now you have to listen. Uh, and you may not have to do that long. Uh, but, you know, consider what I do. I have always placed, I mean, I am absolutely biased. We are all somehow biased. And among my acute biases, I don't think they're numerous, um, but uh, my most acute bias probably is, and again, uh, bias, not a bigotry, but a bias. Someone who cannot conjure, construct, deliver an English sentence extemporaneously, it's, it's fine. It doesn't make them a bad person. But if you are, <clears throat> pardon me, in certain lines of work and you have the inability to construct and deliver an English sentence extemporaneously, you're a fraud, a sham, and an idiot. Now, all I can say as uh, to follow that sentence is, if the shoe fits, if the Gucci loafer fits, but I'm very troubled by it. I'm troubled by the prospect of a president of the United States who, and I don't exaggerate, tell me, Please, tell me. Spank me. Tell me if I'm exaggerating. one 888 You tell me if I'm exaggerating. Donald Trump has not conjured and delivered a sentence in English other than read from a teleprompter and then with the utmost dullness and, and moribund delivery. But... The only complete English sentence Donald Trump has conjured and uttered since becoming a candidate comes off a teleprompter, which, again, comes at a deep cost. And I'm just, you need to have certain things. Look at all the things Donald Trump, I can't look at them, but I can imagine there must be a lot of things Donald Trump does awfully well. Look at, look at what. Look at what he's done, or, you know, apparently done, and I couldn't do it. So there are talents he has. I'm not sure those talents are equivalent to being a candidate, which, of course, is very different than being a president. Please never forget, if you learn nothing else from this show, uh, and I don't mean to sound preachy, but there's such a profound difference between politics and government i have never been involved in government i have always been involved in politics the day my candidates won or lost i walked away asterisk that is if they won they would generally keep me on retainer to advise them you know do polls advise them while they were in office so they could keep their office but I never got involved, didn't have any interest in legislation or government other than you and I share as citizens. But I always kind of had this 
uh, queer preference for someone who could speak English if they're going to be, you know, like president of the United States. All right, tonight, Trump is offering a major policy law and order remarks in Milwaukee. In fact, he may be doing it like now or really soon. David, I didn't hear you. Did you? Did I miss something? One minute. Okay, thank you. So uh, he's in Milwaukee, the latest riot city, USA. And the big question, I don't actually think it's a big question, but on some of the broadcast networks, they presented today as a big mystery. Will Trump use this as a healing moment? What does that mean? I mean, what, what will Trump use this as a... I know what they mean on CNN. They mean, will Trump throw overboard people like you and me who have stuck with him uh, in order to sound like a whiny, left-wing, baby liberal and side with the community rather than the police? Please don't. Win, lose, or draw. Jay Severin, The Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, partners, our next, uh, which, as I recall, would mean our first caller today was uh, Colin, but he dropped. Now, I'd like to know what's wrong with Colin and why he dropped, but that would, of course, require a colonoscopy. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I don't have any noisemakers or anything, so that's that's pretty much it. Um. Hillary Clinton and Biden have been traveling together, doing their vaudeville act. Among Biden's notable quips yesterday, and what's troubling, by the way, is that, and as, as before I have uh, lectured, I hope not, uh, my experience, lifetime of experience in politics and political campaigns, uh, there are a few absolutes. One of them is the greatest asset in your campaign, even greater than money. Whoa! Did I really say that? Yeah. Even greater than money, what's the greatest asset in your campaign? And the answer is, it is, or had better be, your candidate's time. The most important person in a campaign, ultimately, is the scheduler. Well, of course, the consultants tell the scheduler what to do. So the most important person in the campaign is me uh, and the pollster because we tell the scheduler what to do. But uh, quite seriously, on both counts, where you put your candidate in the 85 days left right now, the calendar, the schedule is it, is everything. It also, by the way, is the most reliable, as you know, it's the most reliable barometer of the campaign's belief as to its strength, its weakness, its opportunity, and its strategy. 
where you put your candidate. Right now, the schedule for Hillary Clinton, at least, is filled in until Election Day. They won't tell you this, but they know where they're going to be. Now, again, uh, in the in the event of unforeseeable circumstance, of course, you shift tactics. But your strategy dictates your tactics, and your tactics are exemplified by where you put your candidate. And absent extraordinary circumstances or shifts of you know, major magnitude in the polling. Hillary Clinton knows where she's going to be every day and every night between now and election day, election night. Because that's the most important ass, certainly the biggest ass at in, in that campaign. Yesterday, uh, it is therefore troubling that they put both Clinton and Biden and Scranton, Pennsylvania. Because if Trump doesn't win Pennsylvania, he loses. And right now, and I haven't mentioned this, you know, I am I failing you or helping us all cope? I'll never know. But am I really, am I helping us or not helping us by not telling you every day what the latest polls are? Because I haven't mentioned that in probably three or four or five broadcast days. Now, shame on me or good on me because I'm trying to entertain you. And I don't think you are particularly entertained or laughing or uplifted or lighthearted if I'm telling you every day what the latest polls are. Because the latest polls every day are that Donald Trump is having the living snot beaten out of him. There is not a single swing state in which Trump is within eight points. Eight points! Not one. He's losing Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Mexico, Colorado, Wisconsin, Indiana. He's losing everywhere. Everywhere. And does that mean he's going to lose? Probably. But not necessarily. But the fact that the Clinton campaign decided that their biggest asset would be sent to Pennsylvania yesterday means that they, at the very least, believe Pennsylvania is in play for them, which, at the very least, it is. Or, worse, that they're nailing that Pennsylvania coffin shut and with it, any hope of an Electoral College victory. Latest poll today, Florida. Clinton up by only 11 in Florida. No win, Florida. No win. So, you know, I'm aware that I don't. I'm aware that I'm not giving you the daily polling numbers every day because I can't do that and not hang myself. And I I just don't think why that's why I'm here. You know, you, you know what time it is. And I don't need to remind you that uh, it doesn't look real good at the moment. In any case, 
This stuff ought to matter. Biden's notable quips yesterday, I've picked two. The first is, Trump, he would have loved Joseph Stalin. Now, Stalin is duly recorded in history as having ordered and presided over the slaughter of somewhere between 20 and 40 million people. Joseph Stalin made Hitler look like Mother Teresa. And here you have the Vice President of the United States up on a stage in Scranton, PA, saying, well, that Trump, he would have loved Stalin. And no one says boo. Joe Biden can get up there. The vice president can get up there and say that. No one says anything. Biden also said, quote, no one who has ever run for president has been less knowledgeable. No one has ever, I think he said, no one's ever known less or been less prepared for this job. Ever. Now, while one of these statements is an outrage, as I've noted, the problem is one of these statements is difficult to dispute. I don't know how important that is to the majority of people who will cast a vote on Election Day, but no one who has ever run for president has known less or been less prepared for this job. Can you dispute that? I cannot. I mean, I'll dis- I'll dispute anything. Tell tell me. Tell me which side of the argument I've drawn. I'll debate it. I'll try my best. But man, I don't want that please don't let me draw that straw in the debate. Speaking of debates, there are sizable portions of the Republican Uh, that is to say, Trump-leaning electorate, that think, somehow believe, that the debates are going to be the magic wand. That, That Trump is going to turn this all around uh, in the debates with Hillary Clinton. Now, you know what? I give that, I can't believe I'm saying this, I give that almost even money. Only because Trump has run the most inept, dumbest campaign I have ever seen or known about in history. And he's still within, let's say, let's be kind, let's say 8 to 10 points. And it's really true that Americans generally don't pay a great deal, most Americans don't pay most of their attention to politics, again, conventionally. So, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't apply this year. But most Americans don't really start paying attention until, they say, after Labor Day. That's the amateur observation. You know when Americans start paying attention? After the World Series. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. Partners, do you know why I still have hope? And you know I would not say this or anything to you I did not believe. Do you know why I still have hope? Number one, because it's this year. The queerest year in American politics so far in America. I mean, anything can and has already happened. Anything, proving to me anything can. Number two, it's true that if you're talking about a 10-point swing, <clears throat> people really don't... I mean, as of the last election or two, I can tell you for sure, for certain, I know this, that 10% of the electorate made up their minds, you're not going to like this. It's not going to make you proud, but it might make you hopeful. Do you know that 10% of the people who voted in the last presidential election made up their minds after Sunday. They made up their minds on the day before the election or election day or in the booth by their own admission. 10%. The other fact you may find sustaining is that, however bitter a disappointment it was at the time, 5 million white Republicans stayed home on Mitt Romney. One of the things the Trump campaign is not saying, but I happen to know they believe, is that those five million will turn out for Trump. And I'll add a third fact. I think there may be, and I believe this, I truly do. I know this sounds like loser's lament, but I'm not ever going to give you that crap. I know too much. And, and and love you too much to, to give you that stuff. Uh, but I really, truly believe, which I never believed with Mitt Romney, who I love and admire but and worked for, but I just, you know, it was never going to be. But I'll tell you something I do believe. I think that in the last two weeks of this election, now this doesn't apply if Trump's down by 15 or 20 points. I mean, you know. I'm not paid to believe in miracles. Uh, If Trump is within spitting distance of this and we get down to the last couple of weeks, I believe there's going to be not only a a voter examination, (coughs) pardon me, but I think there's going to be a good chance of a re-examination on a, don't laugh now, on a philosophical level about whether you really want, at the end, what you really want is, are you an American that says, everything is fine, thank you. Give me four or eight more years of exactly what we have now. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Or are you part of the shocking majority of Americans who believe correctly that the country is off on the wrong track. I think there is every realistic chance there's going to be a piercing re-examination of this, and people are going to say, oh, yeah, God, you know, I just, but I, we can't, we just can't have Clinton. I'm willing to take a chance on romance. 
You know why I believe this? I thought about this when I shouldn't have been. I should have been sleeping. But I thought of this late last night, very late. There are two dimensions to Trump. The first dimension is the affirmative double Trump, uh, Donald Trump. The affirmative Trump, meaning his ideas, his beliefs, what he would do. And in that dimension of the affirmative Donald Trump, what he believes, what he would do. I believe that a majority of people who will vote on Election Day agree with him. They don't like him. They're embarrassed by him. They don't want to say out loud at work uh, or even out loud, period, that they're for him. But they believe what he believes, what he would do. However, the other dimension, the other sphere of Trump is not the affirmative, you know, what he would do, his policies, his beliefs, but the contingent. And the contingent means what he would do on the spur of the moment in response, reaction to unforeseen circumstances. This sphere, the contingent, is what I believe people are, well, to be as euphemistic as I've ever been, uneasy, that is to say, sick to their stomachs about, absolutely terrified by, including me, which is why Trump has such a mountain to climb. I think people are worried about, God forbid, what if the Chinese or the Russians do X or Y? You know, what will Trump do with the nuclear codes? But I think they agree with him. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.